Hello again, and welcome back to Enterprise Linux Security. I'm here, as always, with Zhao, and today we have a special guest. We have Philip from CrowdSec. How are you? Hi, Jay. Hi, Joel. I'm glad to be back with you guys, so uh, I'm ready for the questions. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> getting right in there. Um, and I like that. I like the enthusiasm. But I think before we get into the questions, we should probably, first of all, have you tell the audience more about yourself. And then you could tell us about what CrowdSec is, what is the goal that it intends to solve, and an elevator pitch of how it solves it. And then we'll get into um, individual questions to uh, flesh it out even more. Sure. Uh, so first, uh, I'm, I'm a pen tester by trade and by training. So I've been in school, like uh, I'm an engineer, and uh, I've been really working in this field forever, like 20 years or something like this. Uh, I stopped pen testing for oh, more than a decade now. It's really a high level sport. You know, you, you have to train every day, learn your trade every day, and you get outdated so quickly in this. I mean, I, I, I never saw a very good pen tester past, what, 35? Uh, so I'm a, I'm a dinosaur there, so I decided I would do something useful of my life and I switched to the uh, editor side. So now I'm at the head of a, a software editing company, uh, open source software editing company, which is CrowdSec. And as for the elevator pitch, um, I like to think about what we do because your audience is more technical than most of the one I'm talking to. So I'd like to dig into uh, you know this technical part. So most of you guys will know what Metasploit is, right? So it's a, it's a framework to exploit uh, uh, an automate pen test. Um, what we do here is a bit of a Metasploit of defense, right? So you can throw at it whatever uh, you're looking at for patterns into your logs. It will identify the threats and it will remedy them. We don't say block because block is just a brutal, harsh way of dealing with the problem. You can send a captcha, for example, or you can kick your own script, or you can just notify yourself on the Slack channel, or you can obviously upload it into a firewall, a reverse proxy, an IP set, whatever you want. So it's really versatile. We don't want the IPS component to be bound to one answer only. We have like a bank of 20 of them. You pick the one that makes sense in your context. But the real twist here is the following. Bear with me and you will understand the real goal here. As soon as you detected some attack pattern, you can share the IP behind it if you want. It's on a goodwill basis, right? You can deactivate it if you don't want that. It's GDPR compliant for the European people, but whatever. So you can share the IP. And if you do so, we will curate it to be sure there's no false positive and it's not a poisoning attempt. And then we'll share this IP back with the network of users. So meaning, you are not only protected because we detect the behavior in your logs, you're also protected against IPs based on their behavior as seen as at, uh, at our network level. That's awesome because it's, it's commonly the case in IT where you have a bunch of people solving the same problem separately. And it's kind of interesting to me, like every good idea, I always think, you know, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know, why didn't I think of that? Because if everyone's solving the same problem, you know, everyone's dealing with security issues individually, you know, individual companies. But if there's, you know, one one entity is going after one other entity, then obviously they might be going after others as well. So, and I like that you mentioned, you know, showing CAPTCHA or whatever. So you have an option as far as like what the other person sees. And I, I immediately got in my head the a, a picture of Dennis Nedry from Jurassic Park, um, the first one, where he's like, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh. We need like an animated GIF image to have this face on it that just shakes his finger like that. Um, but that might actually infuriate people to try even harder. 
harder to hack you at that point. But um, I think that's pretty cool to have that flexibility where you want to block the the individual or the entity, or you want to show a captcha or something like that. Um, I think that's pretty cool to get that flexibility. Yeah, because you know, if you think about it, we we were hosting company before with my my team, right? We we did this job. We were in their shoes, all those guys. So. If you're, say, a telco operator or, or a mail system, you don't care about banning a part of the internet. You've been doing this for the biggest part of the last 20 years, right? So banning IPs as a block, you don't care. Now, if you are, say, a web shop, right? You sell online. Banning IPs is instantly uh, uh, very scary because you can you know, skip on a customer or ban it from your website uh, just because it's part of an IPv4 range uh, a NAT IP that has been caught into our net. So instead of just you know, bullying people out, we, we rather say and we encourage our customers and clients and users to rather uh, use the least remediation that would protect them. So and if it's capture, fine. If it's not capture and you have to really hard block it, if it's multi-factor authentication, fine. You know, find the, the fine grain, the fine tuning, because we will do everything we can to avoid false positive, but it's also on your end. It's not only on ours. Mm -hmm. Yep, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and one of the, the things that immediately popped to, into my mind, uh, given the, the architecture of the solution and how it takes uh, the, the crowd, basically the crowd knowledge, and tries to, to make it into a coalesce it into a list or a range of IPs or if you say you're not banning by IP or by block or whatever, but that's the information you you take from the from the threats you detect on the systems where it's installed, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, sorry, I may respell it a bit. We are using the IP as a unit of count. Already, mm -hmm. why that? Actually, because as Jay mentioned before, what we've tried to do up to those days for the last thirty years is defend ourselves individually. Right. And yes. we failed, basically. Yeah, so yeah, let's yeah. defend as a group. And what we see is that those uh, participative network, they have one, uh, one strength compared to the uh, cyber criminals. Cyber criminals don't have an unlimited amount of IPs. This is not true. It, it's requiring care. It's requiring money. It's requiring negotiation, renting, whatever is the cost. It's costing to them to have new IPs constantly. So when we burn them, we are burning the only unit that may actually uh, be in shortage for them at some point, right? So indeed, it's the IP that is the unit of count for us. Now, the thing I was saying is like, you don't have to ban an IP. You can just, you know, yes, for yes, example, yes, you can it use other countermeasures. Yeah, yeah, so to avoid false positive, it's also on you. Like if you have a dot or if you want to remedy a specific threat, maybe just dropping it into your firewall might not be the, the best mm -hmm. uh, cause of action. And how do you protect against poisoning? Because you, you make this claim that uh, it's poisoning resistant, but uh, the moment you start accepting information from your users, basically, your installations, um, how do you protect against that? How do you avoid some malicious group from using, say, 200 bots, 2,000 bots, or 20,000 bots, and just feeding you information that uh, f Facebook is now, a malicious, uh, is now a malicious actor and everybody should block Facebook? Oh, I'm not, not saying that's wrong. Ah, um, okay. Okay. That's encouraging. Try that out. That'd be fine. I'm not okay. saying that's a problem. Okay, that's nobody do what example. I said to do. Nobody do that. But. Nobody said anything. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> you're right. Uh, the first thing is we're using a trust rank internally. So every user of the network has a trust rank and every machine, actually, for what it's worth. 
Um, and if your machine are, re are registered at the same moment, are reporting the same information, or are in a, a range of IP that is very close to each other, or are coordinating and reporting exactly at the same time the same things, we will consider that you are one entity and you have one vote at the table in the tribunal, if you want. We call it the consensus, right? Mm -hmm. So this is one of the part of the secret sauce. The second part is this trust rank is growing over time. So meaning you start with the trust rank one and you will eventually reach after six months, trust rank 99. In between, we will not trust you. We will not even listen to you. We will listen only to the people that are validated after six months. So you, are, you have a quarantine period already. So meaning if you invest like 3000 machines, you register them pretty much at the same moment or they are acting pretty much as a block. We know they are controlled by the same uh, entity. Second, you will reinforce the network for six months to climb the ladder. And the day you will report something inaccurate, you will lose your trust rank extremely quickly. And I'll show you how. So say you are trust rank uh, 10, and Jay is in the network for already six months and made accurate reporting and it's trust rank 99. Jay sees the same thing as you did. So it will validate your signal, crediting you with a bit of trust rank and you will climb the ladder, right? And at some point, we are also trust rank 100 because we also have a network, a honeypot network that serves the goal of counter verifying signals and electing the super nodes, the trust rank 99 people, right? To have like a, a, a Oh, something to check against, sorry. And then the next part of it is we have a, list, a white source, uh, white list, uh, sorry, of IP that you cannot ban. For example, Googlebot, Gmail, Microsoft Update, Akamai Core IPs, uh, stuff like that, 9999, 9999-1111 and so on. You are not at liberty of blocking them. If you try to, it will just be rejected. And last but not least, we are working on advanced algorithm, not to say AI, that is actually looking for very specific signals. Let me give you an example. If someone really crazy has 65,000 machines, it could eventually scan one port per machine, per IP, right? Scan the whole internet with 65,000 machines and scan just one port with each machine. At your scale, it will be barely visible, right? Because, you know, many machines just pulled one port and it's not a cause for banning them. But at the scale of our network, it will be extremely loud. And we know that the 65,000 machines are working all together and that you should be banning them as a global group. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I want to mention too, just uh, kind of talk about a little segue, is how one sets up CrowdSec, because I just to kind of make it um, clear to everyone, how, how do I implement this? Because I know that's a question that everyone is having that doesn't already know about it. It's like, okay, well, it does all these things. It's great, but how do I get it? And um, I'll just let you know my understanding. I mean, I've done videos on it, so I'm pretty sure it's correct. Hopefully it is, and I don't have to retract anything that I uh, did before. <laughs> um, but just as a quick high level, you have the CrowdSec package. You, you install the repository, you install the package. CrowdSec notices what's going on, and then you have a bouncer that you also install and enable that takes action based on what it finds. So is that a correct elevator pitch or summary of how it's installed? Yeah, no, no, it's, it's mostly correct. Actually, it, it's all correct. The thing mm -hmm. I would just highlight here is you have two components. So you have this agent that is running, which is the IDS part, actually. It's detecting and reading your logs and doing the job. It's connecting to a local API. It's an in-between component uh, that is provided with it. You, you don't have to do anything for that. Huh? And uh, the local API is instructing the bouncers. 
And the bouncers are actually the IPS component, the one that is really blocking actually. So if you install CrowdSec, remember you have to install both because if you only install the IDS, you won't be protected, right? Um, so it's automatically uh, configuring itself. We have package for pretty much everything. We're even porting it for Windows environments. Hmm. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, hmm. We have it for PF, for OpenSense, for uh, Fedora, for Ubuntu, for whatever. You could just We have tons of package for every distro. Thing is, this is a basic setup. Like you can have it at home. It's super easy. Now we're working with large companies that have like tens of thousands of machines. And what they want to do is proceed very differently according to their uh, work. So say, for example, you go to GoDaddy, right? They have tons of mutual uh, mutualized servers, right? Um, and what they want to do is like have one component per uh, customer to detect if there's like aggression on their cPanel or something like this. Fine. Now, if you go to another company, maybe some sort of AWS or Hyperscaler or whatever sort, they have a lock pit. And they would put like just one agent listening to one lockpit. It's easier for them, you know, because everything is concentrated. And then the same apply for the IPS. Maybe you want to reply just at one level, say on your WordPress machine and just uh, toss a captcha if there's a dot. Or maybe you want to put it in front on your firewall lines. Or maybe you want several different type of IPSs handling different type of things, like one alerting you, one blocking it in the firewall, only if it's IP coming from a country you don't like or from Tor networks or stuff like that. But on your uh, web shop, for example, you just want to block people that are doing uh, credit card stuffing. The rest you don't care. Or boat scalping, for example. We have scripts that are coming, scenarios that are coming about uh, boat scalping, boat harvesting, stuff like that. So you may want to reply differently to different kind of minase and different architecture that you could have. Okay. Um, another thing that I that I would like to know your opinion about is how the, how well does this play with say commercial firewalls application? Um, I don't know uh, some checkpoints or whatever. How well does this play with it? Um, is it uh, something that you want to have running um, side by side with that type of uh, firewall, of enterprise firewall, or is something that, you, like you said, you have uh, you have packages for everything? Is it something that you actually consider deploying on the firewall itself as a module or something like that? Well, it's a Go, uh, it's a Go uh, based uh, co component. So, meaning it can scale to the roof if you are in a container environment and all. But it's not a C uh, super low level. So, I wouldn't put it like on a switch, on a rotor, on a firewall. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make much sense. So, because we are dealing with the threat on a layer three, right? On an IP okay. level, fine. But what we are good at is actually understanding the context, the business context. Mm -hmm. So what we like is actually layer seven, if you want, right? Where there is the intelligence coming, uh, coming into yeah. place, where there's sessions and stuff happening, and we can see the threat evolving in the logs. So I would rather feed, uh, this is what we do most of the time, we feed an IP set in the network uh, kernel, uh, in the firewall kernel, for example, or we just send some IPs to ban to an API of the firewall, rather than directly be embedded into it. For mm -hmm. now, at least. I mean, uh, if you take like super high-end stuff like Juniper and things like this, they really run on a super low level. We wouldn't want to slow them down. So we'd rather interact with their uh, API rather than directly, you know, be uh, embedded. And as for how do we interact with them, we can read their logs, we can react on their logs. So say, for example, if there's a port scan, it's super easy for us to feed, feed them back, like you should block this because, you know, not all firewalls deal with the mm -hmm. port scans, for example. And um, 
We can also feed them IPs that are dangerous coming from inside the network or outside the network as per what we see in the log. So we really want to play along with them, but we rather a server and service oriented tool rather than an infrastructure tool. Okay. So one thing I think we should probably explore a little bit is how it blocks things because um, if you Google CrowdSec, you're going to get results on fail-to-ban because there is, you know, some similarities between the two. And if I'm not mistaken, fail-to-ban helped inspire this. But can you walk us through exactly, like, how it, uh, you know, it, uh, obviously it's probably doing firewall rules and, you know, you have the bouncer and everything like that. So um, compared to uh, fail-to-ban, uh, how would you say, it best, other than the crowd element, because obviously that's the biggest thing, how would it differentiate itself from fail-to-ban? Well, first of all, we wanted to have like a super simple uh, uh, scenario system. Because if you edited some scenarios in fail to ban, it's not so obvious. It's not so easy, right? The, the language is not so so straightforward. We opted for YAML. So it's you can criticize YAML as much as you want, and there are good reasons for that. But at least it's very human understandable, right? This is why we chose it in the first place. Um, so you can edit your scenario yourself. It's really not complicated. Uh, and we wanted the people to be able to deal with any problem they have. We don't even have to have their scenarios or they don't even have to, have to share with us. Uh, I've done stuff on my own network that I've not shared so far. Uh, so that's fine. It has to be super easy to configure. The second thing is um, fail to ban is in Python. And Python is pretty slow actually at processing. So we've, we have uh, benchmarks that speaks for a time 60. Uh, um, ratio in terms of speed between Go, which is compiled, and Python, which is Python. I love it, but it's definitely not fast. <laughs> uh, it's everything but fast. The Python crowd is going to hate you. Yeah, yeah, and they can. But actually, you know what, guys, before you throw things at me, just know that I code in Python, and I'm decent at that. But uh, <laughs> but it's not made for high uh, throughput, and most of the Python coder would tell you, yeah, I mean, I know what he's talking about. It's not that it cannot serve an app environment, it's just it cannot serve an, a network environment, right? So uh, there's this. Also, um, we have more subtle uh, grammar and more complex grammar, and we can have scenarios that are chaining with each other. So for example, um, you're probably familiar with a leaky bucket, right? The leaky bucket is, if there are, say, for example, 10 violations, I would release one per, say, 10 seconds, and so it's like a bucket, it's emptying slowly, it's dripping, right? And if you fill it too fast, it will overflow, right? And when there's an overflow, this is a moment where we tell, okay, there's a problem. This guy is trying way too fast uh, new passwords, or this guy is trying way too fast new ports or stuff like that, right? So you can make buckets leak into one another, and you can overflow one bucket, a meta bucket of all of them. Let me give you an example. Say you get a scan, a port scan, then you get the web scan, then you get credential brute force, and these three buckets are overflowing. Well, it means you're, you're targeted with a targeted attack. It's not random, it's not like internet background noise. Someone is willing to break into your place. And that makes a whole world of difference. Um, so there are tons of you know, different differences in the architecture. Uh, and also we want it to be compliant and compatible with the modern environments like, you know, go try to put some fail to ban into containers environments, stuff like that. It's not really straightforward. But there's some, something else at it. And, you know, it's a deep concept in, in, in CrowdSec that you will not find anywhere else so far. No. We had contact lately with people of Ledger. You know this cryptocurrency wallet, cold wallet, Ledger, right? 
Well, those guys, they are a billion dollar company, right? They are studying the threats they see in the industry. And when an IP is aggressive toward the blockchain, they know about it. And they told us like, we would like to share those IPs, right? But we are no CTI provider. We are like, yeah, but we have an IPS, it's free. Anyone can use it. So if you give us your list, we'll give them to our users. So in the next thing you know, three other companies came to us saying, okay, you know what? We have tons of signals. We don't know what to do with them, but we would like people to benefit from it. Like, okay, well, you can use our IPS and feed it with whatever CTI source you have. And we validate them and the users will rank them. Say, okay, I used, I don't know, Cisco one. It's very good quality, but sometimes I have a false positive. So I rank it four star out of five. It's not a problem because I'm an ISP provider, but I'm a web shop. I don't want to have any false positives. So I will take only lists that are ranked five out of five and stuff like that. So you see, it's, it's going way beyond this. And one last thing I would add is how do you make a difference between a credential stuffing and a credential brute force? Credential brute force is someone trying to guess a password. So they're trying login and passwords. Yeah, okay. Credential Stuffing is someone trying credentials like login and password. Hmm. The only difference is it's doing it on a large scale. And how would you know on your individual level? You can't. You can make the difference between the two of them. But if you see it at the, at the network level, it's super obvious that this one is trying the same credentials everywhere with the same IPs everywhere around the globe and not just at your place. And we would then know that it's credential brute force, uh, credential stuffing and not credential brute force which is a very interesting information that can only be visible at the size of the network. Having dealt with that exact problem on, on Azure and the like, I would love to see something like that blocking uh, login attempts at Azure. That would be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. So um, how much does it cost? Huh. How much is it cost? It's fully free. I mean, the product, the agent, the IDS, and the balancer, the IPS, are fully for free forever. It's a mighty license. Uh, there's no shenanigans nowhere. The second thing that is free is if you're sharing the IPs that have been aggressive toward you, in return, you get shared with the uh, global network knowledge. Say, you share things about, like, I don't know, uh, port scans. We will share you back everybody that is port scanning for free. The thing that is paying though is the SaaS environment where we provide high level uh, features and premium features for uh, people that have larger needs. So for, we have a plan uh, that is around $50 per month. This one gives you visibility on what you want to mix into your IPS. Maybe you want to have like no Tor exit nodes, no VPN exit nodes. Maybe you don't want IPs coming from uh, Pakistan or Ukraine or whatever. Uh, maybe you don't want people that are doing uh, harvesting boat harvesting on the HTTP layer or scalping or stuff like that. These are premium things that we are uh, sourcing and providing to our customers. Tor not because it's a free list, but I mean, uh, HTTP scalping, for example, is pretty critical for a lot of, uh, of systems or proxy list, for example, that we can source, right? So this is a premium thing. Also the fact that you are under attack because we see patterns coming your way that we don't see anywhere else in the network, which means you are under attack more than others. Or if we see your IPs being analyzed by our consensus engine, it means that you, there's something fishy at your place, right? Your IPs are probably misused or something like this. We'll tell you as well. Mm -hmm. And there is an enterprise plan, you know, for very large settlements like hosting companies. We have a few of them. And they want to have like a, a super high level view about the network, what's happening, how to deploy the software. They want to host this LAPI component, local API component elsewhere, not at their place. You know, things like this. Or 
private consensus, you know, just in between their machines, stuff like that, our premium feature for enterprises. And the last plan would be API, right? If you have like IoT devices that have no spare CPU cycles or RAM to make smart security, you can just ask about an IP and we'll tell you if we know about it or not, if it's dangerous or not. That's really awesome. Um, having worked with MSPs for quite a while, um, I'll tell you, you already know this, obviously, but anytime I would engage with any um, company or vendor for a security product to enhance security, I mean, we're talking like a five-figure dollar amount with a statement of work attached to it. it, it they, they charge a lot of money for this stuff, and you could easily spend hundreds of thousands of U.S. dollars if you're a U.S. company on um, that very thing. So giving this you know, away for free for the core functionality is amazing to me because, you know, you guys aren't like counting servers. It's not like, oh, you could have it on like 10 servers after that you have to pay for it. Like, um, just install it. And then, as you mentioned, you have your enterprise features on top of that. I think that's really great because that's going to really help a lot of people out there, especially people that are smaller companies that can't really justify a purchase like that, but they still want to stay reasonably secure, especially mom and pop websites or small operations and things like that. I think that's a really great value. Yeah, and on top of that, you know, we provide the data and the way to leverage them. Um, so if you have CTI, it's cool, but what do you do with it? Like if I send you Joao something like ABCD is dangerous, you're going to go into your firewall and type in the IP. Well, it works for one or two IPs, but not for thousands of them cycling daily. Uh, here we provide the component that is actually consuming those lists in real time. So it's automatically done. You don't have to actually uh, combine those two. It's already done for you. And this is where it's new, I find. Um, you mentioned before we started recording that you had some numbers about how large is the, the lists? How many are you blocking? Yeah, and this buckle up with your question before, Joao. So the first thing is we have 800,000 IPs in our main data lake, which is a smoke data lake. Smoke is like any violation, not confirmed, like just mm -hmm. any violation. And uh, the distilled one, the refined one, the one that went through uh, the uh, consensus engine is actually uh, having 20,000 IPs rough, roughly right now. So the ratio is one to 40 uh, for now. We want to make it you know, better and better over time, but we still want to make sure that we don't uh, broadcast any false positive or any, um, any uh, poison, uh, poisoning attempts. So we need, to, we need to be very sure about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, that's a very common question. I think that might come up is about the poisoning thing because you know you you have any good service out there, somebody's going to find a way to use it for like a not so great purpose. So it's good that you guys are thinking about that already before it happens. Yeah, and we don't want to be a perfect line of defense. We are free for God's sake. So we want to be an extremely good and reliable first line of defense. Then after, we'd rather not block something than overblock things. You see what I mean? Because it would kind of defeat the purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I've yep. seen how that can go wrong pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, we all, I think we all have our horror stories on the front lines <laughs> of defense with system administration yeah. and um, ranging yeah. from the attackers very clever to they did what? <laughs> so, and, and not only that, uh, yeah. people not understanding the, the basic way that uh, the internet works and saying, oh, we're always getting attacked from IPs, say from random country somewhere. Why don't we block the whole country? 
And yeah. I've had requests like that when I was doing the work. So, so. you want to stop doing business in that country that badly? Um, you want to <laughs> see your profits go down because nobody there could buy your stuff? Yeah. Go right ahead. Don't suggest it. But we only do this in a very specific case. We did this before, but just in a specific case, in the case of a very large uh, layer seven DDoS. And at some point, we had to ban temporarily very large amounts of uh, IP uh, addresses, IP groups because we knew that they were, we were getting flood, flooded. So the software reacted in an emergency mode temporarily to block these IP addresses and then releasing them after just for the duration of the DDoS. Mm -hmm. Wow. So do you ever have situations where uh, IP blocks that you've blocked are now good and you know maybe they've been leased to another individual who's actually not using them for the forces of evil to where you have to like remove them or do they just time out after a while if there's no shenanigans going on? No, 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 there's, they're timing out. Like for example, se every 72 hours, uh, no, I mean, on a rolling period of 72 hours, if an IP hasn't done any further shenanigans, it's removed entirely from the, from the <laughs> database. Uh, so it's released. You can also unban yourself if you feel like you've been wrongly uh, banned uh, by our system. You can ask, we will double check. So far, we had no false positive. We had only people asking questions like, how do I hack a Facebook account? You know, uh, so nothing really serious. Um, so no, no, so far, no false positive, but we are very, very um, careful with this and watching every demand because we want to be sure that nothing bad happened on that side. Uh, we want to stay on the safe side, definitely, of the false positive uh, problem. And also, you know, when you see current databases, and I won't name anyone, but we all know who I'm talking about, mm. uh, some IPs they have are in age of buying alcohol or driving a car, you know, or, uh, or as old as a Debian package, whatever. Oh, I've made a lot of friends. Uh, whatever. So we don't you're want them. You're hitting all the good ones. You went to <laughs> Python and not the APN. You're making lots yeah, of friends yeah. today. <laughs> Mm. Uh, even though I'm running so many videos, but that's not a problem. I mean, <laughs> some of those IPs are so old, it's a shame. So you cannot take any decision based on an IP that is outdated for six months already, because some IPs are changing hands literally in a matter of 15 minutes, you know, on an Amazon spot instance, for example. Yeah. Wow. I like the fact, too, also that you mentioned it's a first line of defense because I absolutely hate it when I see a security solution advertised and they're like, we're everything you need. You only need us and that's it. Like, we'll do everything for you. We'll, we'll make it perfect. We'll protect you and just pay us the money. And you know what? You'll, you, you'll be fine. And immediately, you know, since I know a lot, that, that makes me not want to use that service immediately because I know how untrue statements like that are. And to, to just come right out there and say, hey, we're the first line of defense here, that sets the stage. People understand, oh, so it's not like I install CrowdSec and I, and I don't have to have a firewall. I don't have to have this. I don't have to have that. I just need this one thing, but that's not the way it is at all. And it's a first line of defense. And I think that's really important. And um, I'm, I'm really happy when I see a security company mention something like that. We, we see ourselves as a cybersecurity hygiene uh, system, right? So you have this, you covered for the basic and the stuff that should not ever be a problem in your network. And our, our problem in most network nowadays already. Um, and also, you know, for example, we have a lot of requests, Jay, on the email, uh, email layer. But we're not good at that. I mean, we're not fit for that. A lot of people have been fighting against this. Some good solutions start to, to be on the market and works pretty properly. So we don't see any reason for us to step into this specific war. If some people are doing great scenarios to use the product with, I don't know, a post fix or whatever, fine. But we won't stamp into markets that we are not legitimate uh, in. Mm -hmm. 
That's really good. Yeah, email is another story altogether. <laughs> I hate yeah. managing email servers. It's like one of the worst, most tedious projects to ever work on. Uh, I have and, some viewers sometimes like, can you can you help uh, help me and make a video about how to run your own email server? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. don't run your own email server. <laughs> I, I can, but I won't. I won't do that. <laughs> Mental health. We all is suffered. Like, we all suffered so much with this. Right, yeah, right. But, but I got curious about that email. Uh, how would people request that you interfere in that process because email doesn't come from the the ip of the sender it comes from a relay server somewhere would you just what be used to start blocking relay servers they're like a dime a dozen or something like that yeah so i really don't want that what they wanted to do is not so stupid actually what they wanted to do is like instruct the proxy of blocking links outbound links that would be sent to several people in the same company which kind of makes sense to fight against them <laughs> somewhere but we are not at ease yet with these kind of things. Now you have to know, Joao, that some people are using the product in kind of very weird ways. Some people are analyzing uh, the TV uh, logs or car logs. Some people are analyzing plane logs because planes have behaviors, you know, mm -hmm. like when the number of switch you move, the engine speed, rotation, altitude, direction, nice. and stuff, when you do like a Paris to London flight, it's like 99% equivalent to the previous one. And mm -hmm. if something goes astray for more than one or two percent, you would like to know about it because maybe the, the plane is in jeopardy or something. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's fine. It's a behavior engine. You can use it for very weird stuff, but we wouldn't do it ourselves and we wouldn't validate scenarios that are too hitchy, twitchy, uh, you know, because it could lead to problems. Say, for example, if you tweak our scenarios about HTTP crawling and you see, okay, I'm going to fine tune that and that's super cool because are more sensitive. Yeah, but well, guess what? If we set this value specifically, is to avoid to block Googlebot, right? Because if you avoid things that are like too fast, you will block Googlebot for nothing. So our scenario is safe. If you find you need, you may actually jeopardize your own system because you, you know, you, you put the level too low. And we know for a fact that if someone is doing credential brute force at your place, he's not going to make one or two or three attempts, right? Except if your yeah. password is like one, two, three, four, five, six. But given that it's not this, it's going to make a lot of attempts. <laughs> so it's needless to make the threshold at five attempts or ten attempts. It's way too low and it's error prone. It's false positive yeah. prone. That's why we don't take any signals that are not generated by our own scenarios, our pristine scenarios so far. Now we are studying a way of getting those signals from people and weighting them saying, okay, we saw this, this guy saw this as well, but his threshold is way lower. It doesn't mean it's wrong because we have counter verification from other IPs. So it's still a valid signal. But for now, up to now, we only consider our own pristine scenarios are being the right, the, the rightful one. Yeah, uh, that part about the, the behavior engine, that's really interesting. And I'm still hanging on that airplane ride um, analysis there. Yep. That's pretty interesting. I, I was super, I mean, first of all, I didn't know about that, but there's a, a transnational organism that is dealing with the planes. Uh, they do a handover when they go outside of your boundaries, of your country boundaries, mm -hmm. right? And then they are handover to this international uh, uh, company or whatever organization. And this organization has tracking from the satellite, the, the position, the data of the engine, 
And I didn't know about that, but every switch you activate in the cockpit in modern planes also is uh, spitting a log somewhere in the back. So uh, wow. it's crazy, but yeah, yeah. Actually, when a, a pilot is doing a Paris to Dublin, whatever, they they have a recording of everything that happened. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's crazy. That's that's yeah. amazing, actually. That's really cool, uh, clever use case for this. I, I, I love it when people, within reason, use something for another purpose, as long as they're not making it worse. Because we, do, we don't want to, like you were saying, block all the Google bots. And then, you know, why is my SEO so low on my website? All of a sudden, I never show up on Google. Probably because you block the bots that are going to get you on Google. Um, so just because you can doesn't mean you're, you should. But then at the same time, it's pretty clever to see so, uh, stuff like that, for sure. Yeah, that's why, you know, we say we are doing the heavy lifting here. We're bringing you a tool that is validated, certified, checked, uh, coded by experts and stuff. We thought it through, uh, you know, but there's also your part in this. If you just install it by default, it's going to do the good job, proper signals, proper everything. You don't have to worry about it. If you start tinkering with it, we're delighted to know about it. But if you do shit with it, it's not our fault, right? Or if you start to ban right. everyone for no reason, it's not our fault either. Right. And it's not a false positive in this case. It's just because you put the threshold way too low or you started to ban stuff where you should just have sent a multi-factor authentication, for example. It's only a matter of time for you to get a request. Like, can you ban my son's Xbox after 9 p.m.? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what we're trying to do here. Although we could do that, but and you probably could figure out a way to do that. There's probably easier methods of achieving that than CrowdSec. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, this, this use case is interesting because for as for others, it would mean studying the traffic over a long period of time, which is interesting right. to do as such, but it's very uh, resource intensive and it would not scale so well. Uh, so for now, we are leaving this apart. Uh, but later on, when we have a, another system that could link things like if this happened and that happens or that happens, then take a decision. You know, we're working on that. Yep. Awesome. So what kind of um, bouncers do you have nowadays or, that are available to uh, help facilitate some of the types of things that CrowdSec can detect? Uh, we have uh, Nginx is very, uh, people love the Nginx one because you can use it as a reverse proxy or as a web server, which is cool. Mm -hmm. um, the firewall one is obviously one uh, of the most uh, demanded one uh, for IP table and NF table. Um, there is also one that is uh, on um, cloud, for Cloudflare, so meaning actually your CrowdSec instance is instructing the Cloudflare bouncer to send CAPTCHA or not, uh, which is interesting. Um, we have, um, what do we have? We have stuff for Caddy, we have around 20 of them. Uh, they are all available for free on the hub. Uh, all of this is open source, so you can use it, tinker with it, modify it. It's hub.crowdsec.net. And before you ask the question, we had so many people ending up on crowdsex.net that we bought the domain name and there's nothing on it, right? <laughs> it's not related to what we do. Okay. Yeah, I can see there's quite a few different things listed here on the, on the hub. And another one, of course, is the WordPress sponsor. Yes. Which is very... uh, definitely something that's very popular. And we'll use also another one for, for Magento very soon because we'll be releasing our uh, e-commerce collection uh, so meaning we need a, 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 an e-commerce aware bouncer that will be able to block the threat at specific level, at business level, and not like uh, too low in the in the layers. Wow! So that's really that's really amazing. And I, I think one of the things that I 
really dislike about uh, fail to ban is that it could be kind of um, annoying sometimes. I think anybody who has tried to manually configure fail to ban knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you're just using the out of the box SSH with fail to ban, it's fine. It's, it's very easy. In fact, on most distros, it's, it's turned on by default. But it's like um, when I first used it, I was just, you know, I like to break things because that's how I learn. I'm like, I'm going to turn on everything and fail to ban. I'm just going to say enabled, 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 like probably 100 different things in there. And of course, fail to ban won't even start because if it doesn't detect the thing that you're trying to protect, it's like, uh, yeah, no. And then it just dies. Um, but then when you start to get down the rabbit hole of manually, you know, creating um, basically your, your own jail for something, you better be careful that you're doing it right because if you have the regex wrong, then it's going to leak some things through that's uh, still going to get through. So I like the fact that you can have a curated bouncer that does it, you know, one thing, it does that one thing well, and then just, you know, go ahead and add that to the mix. And then you don't have to uh, mess with regex unless you want to be part of the development community, then by all means. I think that's definitely a win over fail to ban, not just the speed, but the simplicity of it. Well, they paved the way. You know, they did this 16 years ago. Cyril actually did this 16 years ago, which is a, an amazing uh, thing if you look, at, you look back at it. The mm -hmm. thing is, uh, yeah, nowadays we need uh, another approach to the problem, but I, I cannot deny that they inspired us a lot. And we used the product, all of us. I mean, it's, it's running on millions of machines around the world. So they did something that is useful for a lot of people. And, and we're glad for that. Now we are sort of taking over if they want to. We are uh, bringing a new thing at the table and I hope uh, the, the fail to ban community will want to partake with us. That's awesome. So yeah, this, uh, so from what I'm seeing and in, in what I've experienced, because I've, I've done a couple of tutorial videos on uh, CrowdSec, I, I, I really like it. I think one of the things that stands out to me is it's kind of like my understanding of how Gmail fights spam in a um, firewall kind of sense, because I'm not an email expert, you know, like I was saying, don't run your own mail server, come on. Um, but with Gmail, my understanding is that if enough people mark a message as spam, then it's going to be spam for other people as well. So the ideology has been around for a while, but it's it's clever to say, you know what, let's do that for security. If, if a bunch of people are seeing this problem, then other people are going to see it too. And we need to kind of curate that knowledge is power and we could uh, help other people get protected from attacks they're seeing, you know, somewhere else. And that is to say that it doesn't have to be an attack that's seen somewhere else in order for you to be protected from it. Because if someone, like you're saying earlier, is hammering your server five times in a row or however many times it takes for that leaky bucket to fill, then it, regardless of whether there's that information, you could be patient zero that's seeing that for the first time, get it blocked, and then other people will benefit from um, you know, that attempt. I think that's uh, very clever. Yeah, we like to think uh, uh, about this like, you know, uh, Waze. Waze did solve the problem like in a communitary way, you know, getting all together helped a lot in the assessment of the problem on the road. So definitely uh, you are protected. Um, the, the difference though, you're right, is that you are not patient zero. You're not a sacrificed patient to know about the disease. You're protected right. both by the behavior, so likely it's not going to get through, and by the, the crowd knowledge or the network effect, right? So your IPS are fed by the behavior and by the reputation at the same time. This is, I think this is what we really bring new at the table. And on top of that, if other people are bringing their signals and sharing them with us, we're sharing them uh, with you for free. So say Ledger is willing to share the, those IPs for free, it will be free for you as well. 
if Microsoft is willing to share IPs but sell them to us, we'll sell them to you. But nevertheless, you can still leverage them. That's awesome. So um, when it comes to curating that information, is there any personally identifiable information along with the IPs or is it just the IPs in, in the scenario around that? So, sorry, I didn't get it. So if you're harvesting the IP addresses that you see in, in blocks or maybe that other, other companies have seen, um, do you harvest any other information? Is there any personally identifiable information along with those IPs or is it just the IPs themselves? No, it's really just about the IPs. What happens is like we have uh, uh, three uh, information, actually four if I want to be accurate. So there's your agent ID because we need to know who is reporting the signal. Mm -hmm. there, but it's just an ID, it's not saying anything about you. Uh, there's the scenario that has been triggered. So it's, say if it's a credential brute force or, or credit card brute force, uh, stuffing or whatever. Uh, there's the timestamp. When did it happen? Because we need to have this information to be relevant, right? Uh, and uh, that's pretty much it, actually. That's all. We don't need anything else. That's why we are GDPR compliant. So it's not very important in the US, but in, in Europe, uh, we are very, very careful about like uh, private data and stuff like that. Yeah. And we consider an IP as being a private uh, data so that can identify a person. So we mm -hmm. are not at liberty of doing anything uh, you know, specific with it. We have to store it for the least amount of time, get the minimum imp information uh, amount that we need to provide the service, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. That sounds like a very interesting um, approach to the, um, to the security problem. Um, are there any other tips that you can give, uh, say, an enterprise that is deploying CrowdSec, what other things they should be deploying to increase their security level, their awareness? What plays really well with CrowdSec? Um, well, I like uh, the initial, obviously, open source is my stuff. So I like OpenCTI, for example. I find they are really awesome um, and they are doing great work. Uh, I like also um, uh, Miss, uh, yeah. Um, let me let me just pull out a, a file because I need to remember everyone. <laughs> but basically, you know, everything that is open source, I think, makes sense. Like uh, OSEC uh, stuff like that. They are really helping in in the field. Or even um, what is the name of these probes like uh, Suricata and things like this. Mm -hmm. uh, really cool. Um, I'm a big fan of all of those uh, open source software. Uh, I really think they are helping in the field. Uh, it obviously plays well with a firewall. You need to have a firewall. There's no question around it. I will also advise for uh, some system that would protect you, your email. I kind of like uh, the new approach of those guys that, you know, that are using this sacrifice user. So mm -hmm. it doesn't slow you down because you can go through, you know, check whatever you have to check. But in the meantime, uh, in the background, the system is checking whether this link or this content is dangerous. And if it's dangerous, it's blocking any further users to go onto that link, right? Uh, and if you've been the sacrificed person, uh, the admin is notified that you've been sacrificed and maybe you should check their uh, computer. Now, the thing that they are doing that is super smart is that they are doing it at the scale of all their customers, meaning they are uh, sacrificing like one person every uh, 100,000. And I find it super efficient and, and really, really smart. Um, so, you know, those, those systems. Mm -hmm. So I would have a CASB, obviously, to, to, to deal with this. But Proofpoint um, is really nice. 
as a log source, what a, what a, I mean, for logs, you have a lot of uh, options. There's a very, very good French company called Sequoia for your CM. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a SaaS system. Very cool. That's, that's what comes into my mind. And obviously, an EDR of some sort, like, you know, it's, it's always useful. People think like, yeah, antiviruses, they are outdated. They don't serve anything. It's not true. Actually, they protect you against background noise as well. So you should have one. Okay. Wow, that's cool. So um, it plays nice with other solutions. Another one that I would probably mention too is Linus because Linus is a tool I like to use to audit to find out what kinds of vulnerabilities are open on the system. Um, obviously, it has nothing to do with CrowdSec at all, but it's just another layer because at least then you understand some of the um, types of things that you might have to focus on to secure your server. Linus is just a you know is, is a good idea anyway. So at least then you have um, an idea of what holes to plug in your overall security scheme. That could also probably be a good fit too. How does it um, stack up with like SOC 2? Because I know SOC 2 uh, certification requires, I believe, an IDS, IPS solution. Does it satisfy that requirement of and by itself, or is it just an element of that? No, it, as most certification, it's an element. We cannot say that it's dealing with a whole uh, global certification, like for ISO or PCI DSS or HIPS, stuff like that. We are contributing, we are, we are helping but uh, we cannot cover possibly the full ground. Uh, so what we are trying to achieve here is take deals with companies that are very good at those things and um, you know, say, okay, what are you looking at? And we will validate those points with scenarios, everything we can automate at least. For the rest, it's a lot of manual things and manual checks. So uh, yes, you have to have an IDS. It has to be properly uh, um, configured and stuff. And for that, we are good. We validate the thing, but for the rest, you know, it's it's such a wide, uh, a broad spectrum you have to cover that we cannot possibly say we are, you know, tremendously helping. We are helping just on what's supposed to be uh, our job. Right. So the IDS, IPS layer or that particular yeah. layer. Gotcha. Yeah, that's good to know because um, sometimes that layer alone can cost a company a lot of money. Um, it's yes. very expensive. So I'm not saying people shouldn't pay you. Obviously, they should probably check out the enterprise uh, features there, but it's um, it makes the barrier to entry a lot lower for sure. Yes, and you know, we were talking about the costs for a company like, I, I had a discussion with Gartner lately on the uh, CTI front, you know, the cost for a large company, like large US company for mm -hmm. CTI. It's something like ranging to from 75K to 165K per year to have a decent yep. CTI. But with this, you just have the information. I mean, you don't leverage it. It's just like, mm -hmm. you know that this is nefarious, you have the IOCs and stuff like that, but it's not really act actually a security that you can enforce on a daily basis. So what we like to think about is TI. Um, it's, it's a threat instruction, right? That we provide somehow. It's uh, Dr. Anton Schwakov that told me this, uh, and I, I kind of like the, uh, the sound of it, TI. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's important that people can defend themselves and you have to think that they are not robbing us or whatever. We are not Robin Hood here. We are getting right. extremely rich with the network because the network effect itself makes us so much more relevant than any other CTI system because we see more diverse signals coming from more places around the world, not aligned all on the same cloud or not coming from only 100 or 200 or 1,000 servers. We're coming, we're seeing this coming from all across the globe, tens of thousands of machines, and this is the real strength of the system. And by defending ourselves, each and every one, 
we are making the company stronger as well and we are willing to get, give it back to the public as much as we can because you know yeah. company will be willing to pay for that i'm not worried the least and actually my investors as well they are super relaxed about it the last discussion i had with them is like what monthly recurring revenue oh come on it's way too early we don't care about that wow no how comfortable is this because they understood that actually the whole value of the system is a network the rest is like meaningless for us so we want to be one million machine and when we will have one million machine in a network we'll have the best real-time app ever of cyber criminal on the internet you know so wow. when you have a gold mine there are people willing to lend you uh, the help of you know caterpillar's machine to dig into it wow that's going to be very powerful that's a powerful resource for sure Awesome. And it's a common good for everyone because once again, it's open source intelligence. We don't hide anything. You can, you know, get the database if you want. It's yours as well, as much as mine. Yeah, open source is going to rule the world, and in some ways, it already does. <laughs> it already does. I mean, yeah. the, the rovers on Mars. What are they running? Exactly. Right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So CrowdSec is awesome. I've been using it obviously for a while now. I'm glad to finally have this discussion with you here on the podcast to let everyone else on, you know, know about it, our podcast audience, and also to get some more insight about how things work. Um, so on Jao, on your side, do you have any other questions or anything you'd like to know more about? No, I was just interested in how it played well with others or not, uh, because uh, at Xcare, we also look at lots of uh, other applications and other ways to improve security for our customers and for the people using our services. And it's always great to know what's out there and what plays well, what doesn't uh, help our customers. And yeah, this looks you like know, a very good alternative. If you know how to write regex, uh, mm -hmm. you can pretty much pass anything in the world. And everything is yeah. supposed to speak logs nowadays. So. Yep. The sky is the limit here. Yeah. Yep. Just depends on the person's creativity and their ability. Awesome. And so, they will to write regex. <laughs> yeah. Which I've been fighting that for the longest time, but I think <laughs> I'm finally caving in and I'm going to learn it now. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that nobody wants to tackle, but it is so powerful once you get started in there with what you could do with regex. Uh, don't be afraid. It's fine. <laughs> regex are amazing, but I still prefer 20 or 30 cuts and cats and tails and so commands <laughs> in a row to get what I need rather than writing a single regex that takes me two hours to get properly. So your factory must have one command that's like a page long. <laughs> yeah. I've seen guys like this. I had some sysadmin in my company that were doing this, like, you know, this one liner that actually takes four lines in a row and it's just one giant regex. And you're like, yeah. what are you doing with this? I'm patching a database. But it's, okay. one, but it's just one line. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's easy, right? It's it's human understandable. Uh, right. No. Yeah. no, no. It's, it's not. Some people, people understandable, right? Right. If you uh, have a degree in computer science or you know you know Bash very well, sure. Yeah, you probably understand it very well. Cool. All right. So um, I have nothing further on my end. That was a lot of awesome information. Is there anything else you'd like the audience to know, um, including where to send them to to get more information? Sure. Please join join the crowd. I mean, we are helping everyone and you are helping everyone else. So we're just providing a tool here. But the real value is you. So if you want to start fighting against cyber criminal, uh, defend yourself better and defend the others at the same time. So there's just one place to go. It's crowdsec with a C at the end dot net. There you go. So definitely check it out. And I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for joining us. It was great. My pleasure, guys. Jay, Joao, anytime. If you want more information, don't hesitate to connect to me. Awesome. We will do that.
right. Take care. Take care. All right.